Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. This month we're talking about self-sufficiency and really that feeling of being enough, of doing enough, of having enough in our lives. And he starts out this one section with these words. He says, here is one of the deepest confusions that lodges in our heart. We offer what we can, we do what we're able to, and in the end, whatever we have given, healed, done, created, fixed, and given birth to, somehow, often, it never feels like enough. (laughs) Worse still, the feeling leaches into tissue and bone so deep that we ourselves begin to believe that the gifts of our best and our most loving presence and attention, our own intrinsic worth, as friends, as parents, neighbors, our value as colleagues, citizens, helpers, or or even just plain kind-hearted people, it's doomed to somehow feel inadequate. And so I am gonna be talking a little bit today about this idea of uh, self-esteem. And I wanna start with a a story from my own childhood, because I think for a lot of us, some of our self-doubts start very young. So I still remember a third grade, Mrs. Byerly's class, and uh, did you have Mrs. Byerly too? That's awesome. (laughs) Gosh, I don't, well, I guess some of you do look familiar. All right, fair enough. Anyway, I remember it distinctly because it was one of the first times that we felt like we were doing an adult art project in third grade. I mean, normally, um, normally what, you're coloring in someone else's lines or you're um, you know, doing scissors and cutting around things and making collages. And it, it kind of feels like some adult somewhere designed the project for you and you're just doing it. And, and although there's nothing wrong with that, Oh, Mrs. Byerly decided we were going to design pictures from the get-go, and it just it felt so empowering. And I decided I was going to do a butterfly, and uh, and, and so in in one class we we did kind of our design, and then in the next class we were supposed to bring materials to kind of bring it to life. And a lot of people were gluing on pieces of macaroni, and I, I know I'm probably I'm probably dating myself in terms of of art projects through the ages, but but I had had this idea that I would go to the beach and collect um, little stones and agates instead of macaroni and this you know this was my plan and so I came and I made uh, I had made an outline of kind of a beautiful butterfly and and had agates and stones and and I got to tell you you know maybe I was a little self aggrandizing because I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> and I was so proud. And we were, they were having kind of one of those parents days, in fact, when uh, parents would come and be in service. And so we, we all presented our, our little art projects that day. And one by one, the kids would come up and show their collage and the parents were, were beaming and excited. And for whatever reason, that was not the feeling that I got when my mom came up. And I remember thinking at the time, like, well, like, what was this? So am I chopped liver or something? You know, what's up with this? I, I didn't get the, the, 
the gumption or the, the spark that I thought would be there. And so on the way home, I asked my mother, uh, and believe me, never ask your mother unless you actually want to find out what they think, right? <laughs> Should have been my first clue even in third grade. I said, so you didn't like my picture so well? And she said, well, it just seems like one of those things you'd see at the dime store down on the waterfront. <laughs> Am I making my sad face? <laughs> And I know that she didn't mean any harm by that, right? I mean, we were living in a tourist town, and to, and to us, you know, all of those pictures made out of shells and rocks that they sell, uh, you know, in Depot Bay and all those little coastal towns, you know, to the townies, all of that stuff is, you know, made overseas, and we kind of just think of it as schlock. And so in a way, she was kind of saying, you know, this was sort of worthless. And, and I really, and I felt that. And I got to tell you, uh, it was not until high school, right? And in high school, of course, we all think our parents are worthless anyway. So, so <laughs> in high school, I started taking art classes again. But really, all those years, because of one comment, somehow I felt that I was not up to snuff, that there was something in me that was lacking, well, I want to talk a little bit about this idea. First of all, I'm not alone, right? If we, if we were to be honest, didn't everyone in this room have some kind of a crushing self-esteem moment as a child? Whether it was not measuring up in sports, whether it was, you know, being the victim on a dodgeball court, whether, you know, whether it was your father telling you that you don't pass the football right, or whether it was your mom saying that you're not going to make much of a good cook someday, or whatever it was. I think all of us have had that experience of something that we thought we had done a good job, a parent or a friend or a some kind of a uh, authority figure anyway would say, well, not quite good enough. And what is also interesting is the science, the brain science behind this says that negative ideas, when people offer a negative criticism of us, we are six times more likely to remember that than a positive comment. So back to my mom again. I love my mom. I mean, she's been passed on now for 10 years. I still love her dearly. And what I suspect is she probably gave me thousands of positive comments about who I am and, and what I could do and, and, and the joy of being with me and, and, and all of that. And what's the one that's the easiest for me to remember? Right? Yeah. So, so to begin with, I would like to propose to us that some of those feelings of unworthiness, some of those ideas that people uh, in our past that we trusted and we love that, that kind of led us down the path of, uh, uh, of trouble within our own self, part of that's my own brain not working very well. Part of that is me forgetting a lot of the positive reinforcement I got and simply the ease with which I remember those negative comments and negative thoughts. So not only did we all get them, but sadly, so very easy to remember them. So I wanna end my butterfly story here. Um, years later, I think I mentioned my mom passed on about 10 years ago. So 
I'm going through her things, and one of the things that, uh, of course, long before she passed on, we had figured out, you know, what family members wanted furniture and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That was all taken care of. But there was her cedar chest, and she was of that generation that when a, a young woman went off to get married, there would be a cedar chest full of linen and, you know, grandmother's quilt and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm going through that, trying to think, you know, what, like, what am I going to do with this stuff? And in there was indeed my great, let me see if I get it right, my great, great, great grandmother's quilt. And wrapped in it was my butterfly picture. So the other thing I would like to point out is that when people give us criticisms, maybe they're not even. Maybe it's our own interpretation of what's going on that has us thinking we're maybe not what we should be or could be or would want to be. See, this idea of self-esteem, it may start from other people, right? It may be something that we first become aware of when someone else says, you didn't do this very well, or you have some work to do, or, or you, know, you should behave a certain way or measure up a certain way. It may start with other people, but you know what? If it ended with other people, we'd be fine. <laughs> we have that tendency to remember to beat ourselves up about it, to begin actually having it define us a little bit. Pretty soon, we think that we're the one who's not good at art. We think that we're the one that isn't very uh, smart at math or whatever it is. I, I still remember my high school choir director, so it was, it was interesting. I mean, everyone got into choir, but you still had to kind of audition for it, and so the, the choir director, Mr. Roberts, had me come up, and I, I, I think it was Mary had a little, it was something is easy to sing anyway, and I sang it, and he said, okay, uh, yeah, you're in the choir, and, and would you sit up there? And then afterwards, he kind of, on my way up, came up and whispered to me, and in concert, would you just kind of mouth the words? Oh. It was my first time in choir, right? <laughs> it's little things like that that then we internalize them and we say to ourselves, I'm not a good singer. I'm not good at keeping track of money. I'm not good with mechanical things, whatever it is. And then you know what we do? We start looking for evidence of it. We start doubting. I mean, for years and years and years and years, I thought I was a fabulous singer in the shower, you know? After Mr. Roberts, not so much. After him, I'm thinking even in the shower. You know, that doesn't sound quite right because what am I doing? I'm looking for it. I begin actually looking for the evidence that I'm not enough, that I'm not talented enough or smart enough or whatever. Whatever it was that I had that glimmer of maybe I need some work to do. So my first advice is pay no attention to other people. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously we do have to pay attention to other people. But I'm here to say other people's opinions of you are none of your business. They're really none of your business. Other people have all kinds of ideas of what's right and wrong and, and different and unusual and good enough, and that is their thing, right? In that moment, my mother may or may not even have said something that may or may not have even been critical of me. 
But what I know is in that moment, I so enjoyed putting that picture together. Why shouldn't I continue with my artistic career, right? There will always be someone willing to just take a, a notch out of you. Someone, someone is out there waiting right now, <laughs> thinking that there's something in you that could be improved upon. I remember my first, uh, my first few weeks here as the minister, and I think I kind of invited it because I was new at being here and, and eager to try to please people and let them know that you know I was a nice guy. And, and because of that, people were coming up to me for a whole month, giving me all kinds of cockamamie advice. And, and yeah, I said cockamamie too. You, you pay attention. <laughs> People would come up and say, uh, you really should wear a tie. You know, we're, we're doing uh, God's business here and you would look more of the part wearing a tie. Or I remember one person came up and said, did you know your socks don't really match today? <laughs> and uh, and it, I mean, of course it was true, but, <laughs> but how does that help me be a better minister, right? You know? And what I realized about a week into it was really what other people thought of me was none of my business, and it wasn't helpful. It wasn't, even if it was intended to be helpful, and it probably was, it wasn't going to help me be me better. It may help me to be someone else. It may help me to be someone else's idea of what a good minister would be, but is it actually going to help me? No. (coughs) And so you have my permission to ignore other people. (laughs) <laughs> now, I, I do realize it, <laughs> you probably are involved with people at work and places where, where certainly we do have to communicate and we do have to share information. We do have to figure out a way that we get along together in the world, but that's a little different. That's not an opinion about you. You are the one that gets to have an important opinion about you personally. You are the one that gets to become a better you, not a better someone else. Now we can use evidence from other people, right? I mean, I actually thought about the wearing the tie thing and I did wear, those of you who have been around a while know that I have actually worn a tie now and then. And what I discovered was I can barely talk when I'm wearing a tie. (laughs) It's not me to be that way. And so we can, we can take advice from others if we want to, but ultimately, you got to be you. you got to figure out what's highest and best for you. You have to be your own authentic self, and it is growing, right? We're evolving. We're getting better, but what are we getting better at? Ourselves. We're becoming the next highest and best and more, more beautiful and more talented version of our authentic self. Not what it says in a magazine, not what your mom told you when you were seven, not what Mrs. Byerly said, although we loved that teacher. She gave us weird advice, right? There will be people out there giving you weird advice and you have the permission to completely ignore it. Just allow it to go over your head and decide for yourself the best possible you, the most authentic you, you can be. So this idea of worthiness is kind of a good news and a bad news situation. The bad news is that people will pick away at it. The bad news is that there will be a million different opinions about who you could be, what you could become, how more powerful you would be. 
But the good news is we can ignore most of that. The good news is it's up to you. So I think if we're talking about self-esteem, it's time for a self-esteem joke, don't you? I thought so. All right. So a timid man was tired of being bossed around by his family and friends, and so he went to see a psychologist. The psychologist said it would be good for him to rebuild his self-esteem, and so she gave him a book on assertiveness, which she began to read coming home on the bus. Well, he'd actually finished reading the, bu- the book by the time uh, for the bus stop by his house. So the man stormed into the house and walked up to his wife, pointing a finger right in her face. He said, from now on, I want you to know that I'm the man of this house. I wear the pants and my word is law. I want you to prepare me a gourmet meal tonight and I expect a sumptuous dessert afterwards. And then later you're going to draw me a bath so I can just sit and relax in a warm tub. And when I'm finished with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? Well, the funeral director said his wife. (laughs) Which... Which points out another issue about self-esteem. Remember, I think it was in the 70s or 80s when people were talking about assertiveness training and things like that, and and it kind of went through a little fad where we were all learning how to do uh, self-defense and assertiveness training, and and all of those are great things, and they don't actually help with self-esteem at all. And you know why? They don't help because it's predicated that for me to rise up, my opinions have to be more strong and more valid than someone else's whose opinion will go down. And so the trouble with something like assertiveness training, it isn't that it's not a bad idea for us to speak our mind, because it is, but that's a good idea. But, but the idea is of, of different levels of being that I have to be more assertive to you so that my opinion of myself can somehow be better than your opinion of me. And, and, and see, that's not really what it's about. That just gets us in trouble of a different sort, right? Then we're just seen as being pushy or dogmatic. So it isn't that we have to take our opinions to somehow have them be a, a level higher than someone else's. The whole idea of this whole thing is just, what's an opinion? It's simply a personal belief It's not the truth. So you may conclude that you're not a good singer. Is that the truth? You may conclude that you're not good at math. Is that actually the truth? See, probably not. Probably. We're our own worst critics, aren't we? Aren't we at at the head of the anti-fan club for ourselves? (laughs) Have you ever thought of how how sweet it must be to have a fan club, right? People writing you thousands of letters saying, oh, you're so beautiful and so talented and, you know, thank you for making this movie and thank you for being that philanthropist. And and if there was an anti-fan club, it's like I'd be the number one signing up, probably, because I always can find fault with who? with myself. So even my own opinions about myself often simply are wrong. 
And you know what the brain scientists will tell us? It's in that same one to six ratio of forgetting and remembering. We will actually remember the one or two things we really did that were really stupid. <laughs> and we do, right? We all make stupid mistakes. There's no, no hiding that. But if you have a self-esteem issue, you'll remember the one or two things you did that really were stupid and have that color your whole experience and beliefs about yourself. So how do we dig ourselves out of this hole? Because there is a good news story here, I promise. The good news part of the story is that we can get out of this hole by actually using a geological expression. And I, I had to look, so it's in the, in the Wayne Muller book, I had to actually look it up online. Like, how does this work? Because it's a term normally used in geology. And he calls it iostasy or istosity. I'm not sure entirely how to pronounce it. Any, any of you geologists out there, let me know later whether it's iostasy or iostasy. But what it is, is when a burden is removed, the underlying material will raise up. And when you look at it in the, uh, the Wikipedia or, uh, or the Journal of Geology, which I looked it up in. Can you imagine me, the Journal of Geology? It was, it was kind of fun. What it says is, and it uses the example of the Great Salt Lake. So the Great Salt Lake in Utah is drying up. The weight, the burden of all that water is being lessened, and so the actual seabed is rising. And so the principle is, when a burden is removed, the basics rise up. And so Wayne Muller says, this is really how we get at this problem. It isn't that we have to make ourselves be different. The issue is simply removing the burdens that we have put on ourselves. And so if you have negative self-talk, remove it. If you're paying too much attention to the negative opinions of other people, it's like, wait, remove it. If you're shooting yourself, does everyone know what shooting themselves is? And I had to practice that in the mirror eight times to make sure I wouldn't say anything really terrible this morning. <laughs> but the, the idea of shooting yourself is that everything you do, you say, well, it should have been slightly different. I should have jumped higher. You know, I should have put more sugar in the recipe. In, in, fact, in fact, how many shooting people are in here, even over the potluck today, right? Were you like me? Oh, well, I should have put a little bit more milk in the scalloped potatoes, right? Well, that's another weight, right? In our particular moment, I think we always do our best job, or nearly always. That is enough. Don't put those extra shoulds on yourself. Be satisfied with the great job that you've already done. Be grateful for who you are and how you show up. You are magnificent. One of the things that we believe in the science of mind is that each one of us has the same spark of divinity as everyone else. Every person in this room, spiritually, 100% pure, 100% perfect. And so, why do we put these burdens on ourselves? If the solution is to remove them, if the solution is to rise up by be setting ourselves free, then we best be started on that project, right? And so, my homework is perhaps the simplest one and the hardest one I've ever given. It's simple in that I'd only like you just to watch your thoughts. 
And it's hard in that I only like you to watch your thoughts, right? Because we have a few hundred thousand of them every day. But please notice those burdens that you are putting on yourself. Are you the one that is saying you're not good enough? Are you the one that is saying you're not talented or smart enough? Are you the one that says that you're just a loser and that you don't count as much as someone else? When we begin to remove those burdens, we'll rise up. When we begin to see ourselves as whole and as God intends us, that that perfected spirit that is the basis of all of us, when that becomes our reality again, we buoy up, we rise to the occasion, we become more lovable, we, we become more capable because we see it in ourselves, we recognize it in ourselves. Our self-esteem goes up, yes, but it's not really that we're changing who and what we are, we're coming into it, it's rising up into its greatness, into its magnificence. So I'm gonna to close today with a, a final quote from Wayne Muller as he ends this chapter on self-esteem and self-awareness. He says, there is this geological term, istosity, which is defined as the tendency of something to rise once whatever has been pushing it down is removed. What if we too are governed by this same natural law? When we finally allow a space of stillness in which the relentless noises, pressures, responsibilities of our days can gradually fall away, something ancient, something wise, something true within us actually begins to rise. We awaken, we grow larger, we claim our full stature. We are limited from our our own self-doubts and the relentless downward forces and inner hidden wholeness, sensing the promise of freedom, breaks ground and begins to bear us upward. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one, one life, one goodness. I'm naming it as God today, but I know it goes by a multitude of names, of, of Allah, of the way, of the divine feminine. And all of these words, I think, mean this one thing because this one thing encompasses all. Every person, every place, everything, every idea, all of it, all of it, in the name of that one thing. And because this is true, I know it is me. I know that I am part of that one thing, as is everyone in this room. And because I am part of this one thing, and it is perfect, I know there is a perfection always within me. And that as I begin to to unload some of my self-appointed burdens and doubts, oh my gosh, the world opens up. So as it is true for me, it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has that capability of shouldering aside anything that might keep them down, anything that might make them small, anything that might make them feel inferior or less than, because that is simply a lie. The truth of each person in this room is divinity itself. The truth of each person in this room is lovable and capable and smart. The truth of each person in this room is joyous existence. And as we hold on to that, as we elevate that, we naturally arise into our best selves ever. 
And I'm simply grateful for that. I'm grateful for the power and presence of God showing up in all these many faces and hands. And in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.